Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of singing praises to your name and for worship. And receive the continued worship of our hearts and our minds now by taking the word of God, by the power that you bring, Holy Spirit, and open it up to our understanding. In Christ's name, amen. Well, as we got to begin a study on how people change, and I mentioned that in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says there's only one foundation, which is Christ. But there are two types of builders that build on the foundation of Christ. Both builders are regenerate. They're born again. They know Christ. Their sins are forgiven. One builder, though, builds on the foundation of Christ using wood, hay, and straw, while the other uses gold, silver, and costly stones. And Paul says, the day will bring it to light, that one man on the day of judgment will be able to walk with joy and certainty and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, while the other man who built with wood, hay, and straw will find that his house is falling down and he escapes, the Bible says, as if through the flames. Now, faith that works is dead. I'm not saying that you can be a secret believer. I'm saying that you're a believer and you may even show a desire for leadership, you may be even a pastor or an elder, but, but there comes a point where, where Christ is not the central focus of your life. Christ is in the mix, but he's not central. And so you build with wood, hay, and straw. And we need to be, Paul says, very careful how you build upon the foundation, which brings us to 2 Peter chapter 1. I said last week that in 2 Peter chapter 1, there's uh, two different paths. One path, which is glorious, is the individual who makes Christ the center of his life and he lives in such a way that he honors the Lord, he is productive, he's fruitful, he never falls into disobedience that's noteworthy, and he receives a rich welcome eventually into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Conversely, 2 Peter says there's another type of person who forgets that his sins have been forgiven by the blood of Christ. It doesn't forget that he just is unaware of it. He forgets that it's not the central focus of his life. And so he's not fruitful. He's not productive in the things of the Lord. And he stumbles. And so Peter is pleading with the church at Asia Minor. It's going into a time of persecution to make their calling and their election Sure to be people who are vigilant and diligent. And and so God wants to change us, and change is about motivation. And motivation has several elements, involves at least these three elements. If I'm going to be motivated to change and really motivated, I've got to see that what I pursue is going to give me value, enjoyment, and will be beneficial. It's just across the board. Let's say you go to do your annual physical, the doctor says, well, you got to do A, B, and C, uh, to, to get be more healthy, and, and if you do A, B, and C, it, it will add value to your life. It will bring enjoyment to your life because you'll be more healthy, and it will be beneficial to those around you because you'll be more pleasant. You won't be beat down all the time. You'll be on top of your game, and so that's very motivational. Or you have a friend that says, you know, let's do some adult education. Let's take a, a course at one of our local colleges on Baroque music. And let's really learn about the life of 
Handel or Bach or Pachelbel or Vivaldi, and let's understand the movements because, because this Baroque music is enriching and it's beautiful and it brings harmony and joy to your soul. It, it's, it's valuable, it's enjoyable, and it's beneficial. And that's the way it is in pursuing the Lord. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 and following, Paul says to Timothy, he says, I want you to be trained in the words of the faith and the good doctrine that you have followed. Don't have anything to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For bodily discipline has limited profit, but, or excuse me, physical training has limited profit, but godliness has profit for the present life and the life to come. He says, but you give yourself to good doctrine. The word good there means sound, whole, harmonious, beneficial. It's a wonderful word. He says, Timothy, I want you to be trained in the good doctrine, the apostolic doctrine. And understand that Godness holds promise for today and for eternity. It's valuable. It's enjoyable. It makes you joyful. And it's beneficial. So I love this word good. Let me read some other words or verses that use this word, which means beautiful and sound and advantageous and beneficial. Listen, 1 Timothy 1.18. Timothy lived this way to wage the good warfare, the beautiful warfare. 1 Timothy 3.7 regarding an elder. It says an elder must have a good reputation with outsiders, a beautiful reputation. 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of the faith, the sound, the beautiful, the advantageous. 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Titus 2, 14, Christ gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works, sound works, beneficial works. Or Hebrews 10, 24, Consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, beautiful deeds. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, live in such an honorable fashion that the Gentiles, even though they speak evil against you, may see your good deeds, beautiful deeds, sound deeds, and glorify God on the day of his visitation. And then 1 Peter 4, 10, as each one has received a special gift employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Beneficial. It's, it's, it's glorious. It's good. So, so it's all about motivation. And so we come to this passage in 2 Peter. And in 2 Peter 5, this, this, this is the, Peter, Peter goes, you know, for this very reason, make every effort strong. For this very reason, make every effort. Be fully supplied. It's all about motivation. And he, he lists, I'm going to suggest, six places of motivation. And then he says, go for it. Make every effort. So motivation number one, verse one, Simon, and, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, are those who have obtained a faith of equal standing or a faith like precious as ours. You've received, it says, a faith of, of equal standing with the apostles. The same Holy Spirit that works in our life and changes Simon to Peter and Saul to Paul is working in your life. You received a precious, glorious faith. Number two, 
Grace and peace have been multiplied in your life. Verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace are continually multiplied and and given and, and, and poured into your life. That's motivational. I don't want God to limit his grace and peace that he wants to pour in me as I walk before him. Number three, you've been called. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godness through the knowledge of him who, who called us by his own glory and goodness. God's call is a glorious, wonderful, eternity-laden bringing us unto himself. Romans 8 says, those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Those whom he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. God's call is that which goes into our lives and draws us unto himself. Now, our family has recently been exposed to and fallen in love with a little dog that my daughter and her husband own. It's uh, seven months old now. It's a Vishlu. It's a beautiful dog. It's just a fun Dog. It's called the Velcro dog because it also wants to sit on you. I love dogs. So anyway, but this dog has a mind of its own. And you go out in the yard and you want to call her in and you call her name. And sometimes she comes. Sometimes she does not. It helps you have chicken in your hand. It's very, very helpful. Some people look at that and they go, well, that's, that's like the call of God. God just goes out on the plane and he says, come, come on. And the, no, the call of God is, the Bible says, when you were, it's a great mystery, you were dead in transgressions and sins, dead. When you were dead, God searched you out and breathed life into your being. That's the call of God. When you could, had no desire to turn to him, when there was nothing in your life compelling you, God, by his Holy Spirit, began to work in your life through friendships and relationships and through the people that communicated the Bible and through preaching and hearing and thinking, and, and God brought you unto himself. God loves his people with an everlasting love. The fourth motivation in this passage, he's given us his very great and precious promises so that we can walk in obedience, so that we can have a life that's glorious and meaningful. The fifth is that we participate in the divine nature. Think about that. God, by his Holy Spirit, is changing us in our different areas with our different personality and different motivation. He's changing us to be like Christ. He's called us to be like Christ. And then sixthly, by his work in our lives, we escape the corruption or the strangulation that is endemic to a worldly system in large part. A worldly system that, that denies the Lord and goes its own way. He, we have escaped from the corruption of the world. I was reading a humorous book this week by a guy named Dave Barry. And Dave Barry says, there have been several key days in my life that I'll never forget. The one day is when I was married to my wonderful wife. The second, when my first child was born. The third, when my second child was born. And number four happened just last week. He said, I went 24 hours without hearing or seeing the name Kardashian. And he was making a joke, of course. But there's some truth to that, isn't there? I mean, you just, you just I mean, I don't know much about the Kardashians, but I, 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 that, that's the world. Oh, look at this, look at that, look at this. Let's, let's follow this family that has limited talent, I think. Limited intellectual acumen. I mean, there's just, I don't know. That's just, that, that's what the world's about. 
And so let's judge people based upon what they look or how they perform or how they purport themselves or how they whatever. And let's find our worth and our being in that type of emptiness and vanity and silliness. And we've been saved from that. <laughs> we understand what's true north. We understand what life is about. And so we, see, to me, that is all incredibly motivational. The second area of motivation is in this book. It's in the second chapter primarily, but, but this book is about true teaching. It's about, it's about some teaching that's come into the church called Gnosticism that says that there, is, uh, there are certain keywords and esoteric knowledge that you can have, and it's not for the people. It's just for a few people, a few leaders, and because the body is putrid and horrible, you can either live in excess or you can deny your body. We have both in the, in the New Testament. The, the group here, we're living in incredible excess and immorality and sensuality and greed, and they're, 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 I, when I come to the Bible, I say, you know, I need to realize there's lightness and there's dark. And there's good and there's bad. And there's the reality of God and his kingdom and the glory of the Trinity. And then there is an a, 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 a entity that wants to drink me down like, and prowls about like a roaring lion. And so it motivates me to run hard to the Lord because I can be undone very easily. And I've got to be on my guard. And that's why he pleads with the people, make your calling and your election sure. Because if you do these things, you'll never fall. That's what he says. But in chapter 2, he talks about the false teachers, just a few things he says about them. He says that they're secretly bringing destructive heresies upon themselves. They're bringing swift destruction. They're filled with sensuality. They blaspheme the name of God. They're greedy. And in their greed, they exploit you with their false words. And their destruction is not asleep. And they're irrational creatures of instinct. And their blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions. And they have eyes full of adultery. They have an insatiable appetite for more and more sin. And that's what this church is up against. And they have hearts trained in greed. And they are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. And they promise you freedom, but they themselves are mere slaves of corruption. And so you, you have both extremes. You, you go to 1 Timothy chapter 4 real quickly. And, and oh, let's read it. In 1 Timothy 4, he says this. He says, now, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter days, this is the other extreme, okay? Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. And what, what do they teach? Listen. They forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. See, you have 2 Peter got the libertine element. Just wild, insatiable, deceptive, and they revel in their deceptive, deceptive spirit. And over here, you've got, you've got the, the sensuous crowd. And they say, you know, you, you can't marry because if you get married, you might have sex. And sex can be fun. And how dare you think you can have fun? Or you can't eat certain foods because certain foods really taste good. And you can't eat food that tastes good. You've got to all become cauliflower-only eaters. You know? So you, you, have, you have both extremes in the New Testament. And I think these are just, these are just 
bad people. And they want to mislead. I was reading recently this week, I read about this city in Iraq that was just, saw ISIS leave, ISIS flag on the bottom. As I read this, I thought, man, ISIS is just like the Nazis. Let me read this in the Wall Street Journal. It says that Iraq's prime minister holds a meeting on Monday, and he'll discuss the monumental task of rebuilding the liberated city of Ramadi, which is the capital of one of their provinces. Uh, say that, 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 that ISIS leveled 80% of the city, just destroyed it. It's going to take $10 billion to rebuild the city. And it goes on and says this, that Islamic State's scorched earth tactics explain in part how their much smaller numbers are able to defend against far greater invading forces such as the Iraqi military and its paramilitary allies. They, they fight from house to house, and when they are forced out of one house or one block, they just blow it up. They blow up buildings. after When they're leaving, they just blow them up, or they booby trap them. So you'll get blown up. And they're all about destruction and mayhem. And I thought about a book I read a few months ago when World War II. There's a general named von Kolonich who was in charge of Paris. And Adolf Hitler sent him a, a top-secret letter. It says, burn Paris to the ground. And this general thankfully said, he really is crazy. And he didn't touch Paris. And I thought, Nazis, Islamic State... All about death, destruction, mayhem. Sounds like the devil, doesn't it? What John chapter 10 said? He's come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the adversary we face. So, so it, it, it's very motivational me because I, I, I need desperately to cling to the goodness and mercy of the Lord. So, so with that as a background, I'm going to go to the character development now in verses 5 to 7, just two today. So he says, for this very reason, because of this motivational issue, because of these blessings you've received, because of the forces you face, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Can be translated moral virtue or energy. Be, 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 make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Matthew 5, Christ says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So I say to you, church, add to your faith moral virtue. Do the right thing. Be above reproach. Be ethical. Be kind. One way to translate this word in ancient Greek literature is do heroic deeds. It's interesting. So we've been exposed to the age of, of the superhero in the last few years. We've had Thor. Superman, Batman, and recently a new superhero, Dabo. <laughs> I just wanted to throw that in just for fun. Okay, but, but, but think about it. So the superhero issue is just be faithful. Just be faithful. Just get out of bed in the morning and say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Matthew 6. Or the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Just be faithful. 
There's one named Mary Slesser who was from Scotland. She was raised in a home of physical abuse and alcohol. And her dad died of pneumonia. Her brothers died of pneumonia, and she and her two sisters and mother were left with nothing. She worked at a factory in Scotland 12 hours a day from about the age of 12 or 13, 14. The Lord saved her, worked in her heart. At age 28, she became a missionary from Scotland to Nigeria. And she went to an unreached people group, a large people group in Nigeria, and took the gospel. One thing she noticed is that in this particular people group, if you had twins, they believed that one of the children was the child of the father, but one of the children was the child of an evil spirit. So since you didn't know which was which, they, if you had twins, they would take the twins and place them on the savanna or in the jungle to be exposed or eaten by wild animals. That's what they did. And Mary Slessor came there and said, I'm not going to stand for this. And so she had orphanages. She had all these kids that she adopted and brought in. She would rescue twins who had been exposed to the elements. And she did numerous other issues, but she preached the gospel. She was just faithful. I just thought she was just a faithful woman. Died in 1915 in Nigeria. Went in 1878 to 1915. I was reading, I've been reading a book on Baptist history. It's very interesting. And I was reading about Richard Furman for whom Furman University is named, a famous Baptist in the Revolutionary Age period, a wonderful man. Uh, his pastor first Baptist Charleston, and Richard Furman wrote this letter to his mother in 1793. Furman came out in favor of the revolutionary cause very early, and here he now is in the latter part of his ministry. And the Charleston Baptist Association had declared a day of fashion and prayer, and he writes this letter to his mama. May God in his great mercy hear the prayers of his people and not only avert national calamities, but revive a work of grace in his churches, close quote. And then the writers of the book said this, the Baptist of the early national America, along with other evangelicals, had come to expect cycles of decline and awakening in the Christian church. Although they could not control the timing of revival, they believed it incumbent upon them to pray and preach and prepare for new waves of commitment to Jesus. I think that's wonderful. I mean, decline, movement up. But the issue is, Furman, Furman says here, we need to be faithful in seeking the Lord. And, and so I, I read this and I said, you know, add to your faith virtue and goodness. Be, be that, that type of person. Then he says this, add to your goodness knowledge. And it's interesting, you'll, you'll talk to people and they'll go to verse 5 and they'll go, ah, it's interesting, isn't it, that, that he puts knowledge behind virtue. So really, we should be talking about living a good life before knowledge. And I'm going to go, no, 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 no. He closes his book with growing the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And really, if you, if you just don't skip the first four verses, this is what you'd read. Verse 2, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Knowledge. Verse 3, his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. And then it says again in chapter 5, now add to your goodness and knowledge. In case you haven't heard verses 2 and 3, you've got to know. And what's interesting here, this is written by a fisherman who didn't have a great education, but he saw the centrality and the importance of a 
knowledge that governed all of life. And Peter says, if you're, if you're going to really live out the Christian life, you've got to be people who understand faith, understand the character of God. You've got to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. That's the balanced Christian faith. And he's writing to a church that's consumed with myriad gods, all types of gods, all types of gods. And he's got these Gnostics running around who are spouting off some other ridiculous stuff. And he says, church, you cannot be swallowed up by a polytheistic, undefinable God orientation. You've got to know the reality of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the righteousness is found in Christ alone. You've got to know the reality of God in Jesus. You've got to know the Bible. And so, so you, 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 you grow in your, your knowledge. There's a man named Rodney Stark who's at Baylor University, and he's written some incredible books. He just wrote a book entitled The Triumph of Faith. I haven't read the book. I read the book Review. And The Triumph of Faith, Rodney Stark talks about the incredible growth of the church in certain parts of Africa and Asia and South America. And then he talks about how the church has enormously declined in Europe and how America is somewhat leveling off. And he says, but really... A lot of that is overstated that there is a strong element of faith in America, so forth and so on. He says, but Europe is a different story. And then he gives these statistics, and they're just mind-boggling to me. And and before I read this, there's a guy named G.K. Chesterton who who supposedly made this comment. When you quit believing in the true God, you don't stop believing. You just believe in anything. When you quit believing in the true God, it's not that you don't believe, that you believe in anything. I think we're seeing that. He says in Europe, for example, he says in Austria, beautiful country, 10 million people. 28% of those who were surveyed said they believe in fortune tellers, 32% in astrology, and 33% in lucky charms. In the nation of Sweden, who's at the top of the list in every livable index, in the nation of Sweden, 20% of Swedes believe in reincarnation. This is a country that has Lutheranism as their official religion. He says in Iceland, more than half of Icelanders, and that'd be 13 people, I guess. I mean, no, no, I looked it up. Iceland has about 380,000 people, so it's not a huge demographic shift, but half of Icelanders believe in holdafolk or hidden people like elves and trolls. These are very intelligent people. And I I read that and I thought, we're combating that. I thought about a book, I discussed it this week with some young men, a book published, released, I think about six years ago called uh, The Secret by Rhonda Byrne. It was on the top of the New York Times bestseller list for almost a year and a half. And I heard people talk about the secrets and this and that. So I went to the public library and I got a copy and I read it. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. It was nonsense, balderdash, silliness. And a lot of pretty pictures in it, which always makes a book nice for me. But she says, the, the, the secret to life is the law of attraction. I'll give you the thesis of the book in 30 seconds. The law of attraction, that if you just believe the right things, there'll be a mental energy that you, that you transmit to other things, and you'll draw that to yourself. That's the secret. Now you know the secret. Go out 
and have positive mental energy. I'm going, really? That's as good as you can do? Stand in front of the mirror and say, I will be king of Norway in five days. I'm really thinking that. I'm really Oslo is a cool, cool city I've heard. I could live there, king of Norway. I'll look like George Clooney in two hours. You know, I mean, I just, 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 you, you read reviews and people go, yeah, this is cool. This has really changed my life. And I'm going, really? That's the world we live in. And I say to you, church, you've got to know what you believe. Knowledge, knowledge, add your faith, moral virtue, knowledge from a fisherman, but he saw what they were up against. And I plead with you to know the book, to think it, to memorize it, to walk in it. And, 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 it's, and it's a particular knowledge that it's not just a knowledge dump, it's a knowledge that changes your heart growing the grace and the knowledge. I've been helped enormously here by a guy named John Calvin. In his institutes, he writes a number of things about illumination, which is the Holy Spirit taking the Word of God and making application to our hearts. Calvin was brilliant. But this is what he says in part. He says, nor, nor does Scripture teach that our minds are illumined only one day and then they can see clearly from that day forward. No. He says there must be a continuing progress and increase. He says David in Psalm 119 confesses that he needs continual direction at every moment lest he decline from the knowledge with which he has been endowed. And I, I say to you that when I open the Bible, when I study and I think and I, and I, I read, I, my prayer has got to become Holy Spirit of the living God to teach me. I need the power of the Spirit to open the text. And, and so it, it's a knowledge that is a servant knowledge. It's a heart knowledge. It's a humble knowledge. I was, I was thinking about this when I read Psalm 9 the other day, and I just went, wow. So Psalm 9 says this. It says, it's about wisdom and Foolishness, and we'll just talk about wisdom. It says, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars, which means it's a beautiful place. And she has slaughtered her beast, and she has mixed her wine, and she has also set her table, and she has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. She sent out people to, to, to just trumpet abroad, come to the feast, come to the party, come to the joy. And this is what they cry out. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who has, to him who lacks sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed and leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. And a few verses later it says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me, your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. So, so if I walk in the wisdom of the Lord, the joy of my days and the usefulness of my days will be multiplied. And years of satisfaction will be added to my life. Now, that's motivational. But the prerequisite is this, church. Listen to me. It's simple. One who lacks sense. 
thought, what does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 11? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. What does Jesus say in John chapter 7, verse 37? Jesus stood up on the last day, the great day of the feast, and he cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Let me say this. If I do not understand that apart from the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, to guide and guard and support and nourish me, I am undone. I will never run to Christ. Growing the knowledge of Jesus, a servant knowledge, a knowledge of people who realize they desperately need the glory of Christ in their lives. I, I, I want to be changed. I want God to work in my life. I, I want to be motivated as I consider the greatness of all the Lord has done for me. And I want to be a blessing to those around me and speak the name of Christ to those who, who do not know him. I need to add to my faith moral excellence and to moral excellence knowledge. And next week, self-control, and perseverance and godliness, brotherly kindness and love. May God give us the grace to do that. Let's pray. Lord, this day we thank you for the mercy of the cross. And we thank you that even though um, um, that, that you, you, you say to us today, just come to me, those of you who are simple. Lord, apart from you, we really cannot um, make the decisions we need to make. We'll, we'll get caught in the morass of going back and forth, being driven to and there by the postmodern thinkers. Or, and, and yet the Bible, as is humbly received, gives us a place to stand. So thank you for that. Thank you for the heritage. Thank you for the mercy. Um, Lord, this week I pray that our light was so shine before men that we could say a good word for Christ to somebody around us. Uh, I, I pray we'd live in such a way that we're not unproductive, but we're fruitful. I pray we'd live in such a way that we build with gold, silver, and costly stones and that we can one day receive a embrace of welcome into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We want that. So change us, Lord, I pray. Restore, build, in Jesus' name, amen.